0: From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio. Fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Imagine you're walking down the street and spot a shadowy figure up ahead. You wonder, is he just a normal guy minding his own business? Or is he a threat? You have a bad feeling, but don't know how to read the situation. Should you keep walking, turn around and run? It's a problem, because 90% of all communication is nonverbal, And if you can't understand what other people are telling you through their body language, you are blind to the threats around you. In this special podcast, I'll be speaking to Terry Vaughn, a body language expert and former British Royal Marines Commando, who will be in Ohio on February 11, 2023, to show you how to read the body language of dangerous people so you can spot criminals before they attack and take decisive action to survive. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Mike. How are you doing?
0: Well, Terry, I'm thrilled to have you on this podcast because Buckeye Firearms Association will be hosting you on Saturday, February 11th to present your DIRT seminar. Yes, I said DIRT, D-I-R-T. That stands for Dangerous Individual Recognition Training. And this is all about how to read the body language of dangerous people and how to Respond to that in advance of it actually happening. So now, Terry, I just want to be clear. Most of our listeners probably have some level of self-defense training, firearms training, something along those lines, and they do know how to defend themselves when they're attacked. But DIRT, dangerous individual recognition training, is about being able to see that attack before it happens, right? Sort of like danger radar or an early warning system, So you can take some kind of action before the attack is underway. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, very. To me, it's always been a case of it doesn't matter what your skill sets are, what tools you carry for self-defense, whether you're a ninja on the weekends or a true badass, you still need time. You need time to get the tools into the fight, to respond, to look at your options. And the more of that that you have at any given moment, then the more options typically you have to choose from. And, of course, incrementally, the closer somebody gets to you when they initiate some sort of an attack, the less options you have. So I like to think of DIRT as, yes, an early warning radar system. It helps maximize your effectiveness in scanning an environment, being tuned in, and then recognizing potentially the nonverbal signals that often go along with predatory intent.
0: So let's imagine that I'm walking down the street I see somebody lurking up ahead and I'm wondering, you know, is this just a normal guy or is he a bad guy? You know, I I might have a bad feeling in my gut, but I really don't know how to read this situation. I don't know if I should just keep walking. That's what a lot of people do because they don't want to look like they're afraid. Do I turn around, cross the street, do I draw my weapon? What do I do? I understand how to interpret Mm -hmm. spoken language, but I don't know how to interpret unspoken language or what we would call body language. Now, I've always heard that 90% of communication is nonverbal. That says to me, if you can't understand what other people are telling you, you know, through their eyes, their expressions, their movements, their posture, and all these unspoken signals,
1: you're essentially blind to the threats around you, right? Yeah, you certainly can be. And I'd like to jump back to the uh the first thing you said at the beginning: you have a gut, in, a gut reaction or a gut response. That gut response is often built on concepts or information that we receive from the environment. So, if somebody is loitering in an area where that is less than expected, or what I like to say, below baseline, that's that's unusual behavior. Then your instincts are probably going to kick off in, in the interest of keeping you in one piece uh, and give you that early warning system. And in regardless of what you learn and where you learn it, you should trust your instincts always because they are solely in it to keep you in one piece. So beyond interpreting the signals there, we have these you know, basic instinctive responses driven by a primitive brain that warn us something maybe out of the ordinary and we should respond accordingly. So I would say if you are in a situation where your gut's telling you this just doesn't, just doesn't feel right, there's something about this that, that I'm unsettled about, trust that bloody instinct. And, and react accordingly. And I don't give a monkey's about uh, upsetting somebody, hurting somebody's feelings, coming across as rude. If you prioritize your well-being and the well-being of your family above all else, then neither will you. So if you have to cross the road, reverse do whatever you need to do to create, again, back to space, more distance between you and whoever's unsettled you. And that's usually the best goal, best response. I don't recommend necessarily going to, I'll just you know draw my gun and we'll go from there because as you and I both know, you yourself could end up being on the receiving end of a phone call where... Some poor schmuck who just happened to be standing in the wrong place at the wrong time calls the police and says, yeah, uh, felony menacing guy right there pulled his gun on me. We don't want to go there unless we're absolutely sure, okay, the circumstances fit. And this, you know, this is a response that is um, commensurate to what I'm seeing. But if you can interpret the nonverbal signals of others, maybe it's not an environment that would necessarily set your teeth on edge But there's just something about that behavior that's not quite right. If you can recognize that, even if your instincts haven't given you a nudge, because now the environment doesn't necessarily feel conducive to criminal intent or criminal circumstances, if you can decode the the behaviors, you can probably put that person off from following through on the crime just by maintaining a good amount of uh, eye contact and letting them know you've seen them. And, of course, if you see something very overt that says, yeah, this is definitely threatening, again, we go right back to plan A. I want some space. I want to maneuverability. I want to put things between that person and myself. I want to tell the people I'm with this is how we're going to respond. There are a number of different factors then the sort of domino down and cascade that you should use in response. But, yes, you absolutely If you can decode the nonverbals, it means we're not waiting on our instincts to give us a nudge. We're we're kind of adding a tangible checklist of things to be looking for consciously rather than just living in hope that our instincts will warn us. So in this
0: seminar that's coming up, and again, this is on February 11th, so it's about two months out, you're going to dig down into some of these details. And it's not just, you know, danger or not danger. You're going to give us real specifics on yeah. You know, what, you know, how to read other people, uh, how to spot criminals before they attack, you know, the kind of action you should take. And 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 before we get into that, this is going to be a six-hour seminar. We'll have a break for lunch, but basically it's all day. Uh, if our listeners want to sign up for this, go to org. click on the events link to find all the details. This, Terry, can be kind of expensive training, but we have this marked down... And I'm kind of worried that we under underprice this. Our early bird registration is 75 bucks. So this is a heck of a deal. You can literally pay hundreds of dollars for this training, but we, we've priced this because we wanna get a lot of people in. We have over 130 people signed up and we still have two months to go. So before we get into some of the details of the seminar, I just wanna back up a little bit because I find you know your, your history kind of interesting here. Terry, you're a former British Marines commando. So I want to understand what that is. That, that's, I understand it's like an elite branch of the Royal Navy, but is this something like what we would call uh,
1: the Navy SEALs here in the U.S.? Not quite, but then the British services, we have a few less branches to choose from. So it's it's the... I had I actually had a chat with a ranger here. We sort of compared notes on some of the training, and it it seemed comparable to what the rangers have to go through here. And he said, well, "We're considered tier two, and tier one is where we get into the seals, team six, delta, etc." And for for us, it's an elite branch of the military. It's one of the longest basic training courses in the world. And it's seven months to go from civilian to Royal Marines Commando, and it's a, it's a tough gig, but. It, I think if you're going to do these things, you, you need to test yourself and figure out whether you've got the medal. And that's you know, why, partly why I ended up joining that branch. And it, I think like most people coming out of the service, it was both the best and the worst experiences of my life. But they they shaped and gave me a lot of uh, training in a lot of different areas. So, so I, I did enjoy it. It does feel, I will admit now, like that was a long long time ago. <laughs> I'm getting long in the tooth, mate. But but those it's funny because some days you get up on those experiences they're fresh. It could have happened yesterday and feel like mentally. And, and there's some days where I'm thinking, no, it's it's been a few. We just recently had I got an email from some of my mates and they say hey we're having a 25 year anniversary and I'm like I'm sorry you must have a wrong person it can't possibly be 25. Uh, I, I, years, but, I
0: hate uh, that. That's that's like when you go back to your high school reunion and it's like, what, 30 years, 35 years? It's like, oh my God, that's not possible.
1: Yes. It's terrible, isn't it? And you think, okay, well, yeah, it's been a minute. But I came out of there with so many good experiences. I, I actually left when I was age 25, 26, emigrated to the US. And I wasn't even sure what I was going to do When I got, you know, became a grown-up. So in the interim time period after getting out of the military, I taught combatives uh, how to fight Muay Thai, edge weapons, tactical firearms, everything you might need to fight your way out of a situation. But I always kept a, a part of my curriculum as advice on how to avoid the fight. Because it doesn't matter on any given day if you happen to be you know, very skilled, got the tools, et cetera. If somebody else is is initiating the timeline under which you're going to have to respond, you're already at a disadvantage. So the only way to have, always guarantee a win in a fight is the one you're smart enough to avoid. So I always taught my people, you know, guys and girls, how to avoid it if at all possible. And it was from that curriculum added to those those self-defense and fighting sessions that uh, the actual DIRT curriculum was, was born.
0: So now you were also a competitor on season four of the History Channel's Top Shot.
1: How did you get involved with that? Well, like all monumentally impactful life decisions, this one was an accident. My wife and I and the kids would sit around and watch Top Shot and and marvel at the the quality of the competition and the shooters and the the challenges that they would face and they got to the end of one of the seasons and I can't remember but maybe it may have been season three but we got to the end of the season and they called for competitors would you like to compete and my wife immediately suggested that I put in for it which horrified me initially because I'm like listen I can embarrass myself anywhere do you really want me to (laughs) do it on national television (laughs) but she was she's she's in marketing she's switched on she's like listen if you do this, then when every time they introduce you, they're gonna say speaker, you know, body language, personal safety, it'll be amazing. And what ultimately ended up happening was every time Colby introduced me on got on the show, it's a former British Royal Marines commando. And trust me, I liked that, but I'm like, dude, that was 20 years ago. Could you please tell him what I'm doing right now? So yeah. even though it was a it was an outstanding experience, the reason I ended up trying to get onto it and do it was because I thought it would Help bring some awareness to the classes and the stuff I was doing for teaching. But it's it's so funny because it's television, it's TV. And there was so much that went on behind the scenes that would, you know, make your toes curl. At one point, they would they swapped over the, the rifles that each team was using because we all shot so well with the one they gave us. They realized, okay, point of aim, they've got it dialed in. This competition's not going to last long enough. So they swapped the rifles before the competition. We we didn't know, except for comparing serial numbers. So there is so much about the show that, you know, you, you can't even begin to appreciate until you're stuck in the middle of it trying to figure it all out. But it was a a wonderful experience to compete against some of these really, really great shooters.
0: Were you always a gun guy? Did you grow up with firearms? Was this something that, you know, your family did?
1: Yes and no. Yes, because I actually did grow up with guns, which is actually kind of unusual in England. They removed everyone's individual capacity for self defense but i grew up with air rifles 22s and shotguns which at that point and i have no idea cuz i haven't been in england for so long now whether they're even still legal that was the only those were the only firearms you could actually own but I grew up shooting from hunting squirrels, rabbits, that kind of thing, to just target shooting, you know, behind the back of my house. We lived in the country. So I did. And I, I was very fortunate because once I got into the military, there were many there that had not done any shooting because they're very limited on where they can go to do it. You'd have to you know, join a specific club, etc. And I got in and found that the the fundamentals, which a lot of people seem to struggle with, at least initially was something i already dialed in so it's funny if we had we had one shooting thing it was just a training exercise we we're all shooting we we're trying to you know earn our british green berets and i hit so many of my target nailed center that the one of the instructors came across and said oh he must be cheating he's got extra magazines And they're going no i got the same amount of rounds everybody else does i just know how to shoot this bloody thing this was very early in training before everybody kind of caught up but yeah, I grew up with them, but only to the degree that you can grow up with firearms in England. And I I don't know, but I think at this point, they've just taken away all firearms. Hell, at this point, I think they've taken away even pointy objects. I mean, it's ridiculous. You are not allowed to defend yourself no matter what, which I find supremely frustrating.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about that, but, uh, you know, that, that goes down an entirely different rabbit hole. But that, you know, that's actually pretty yeah, impressive... That, that's actually pretty impressive that, you know, in a country like that, that really doesn't have the same kind of gun culture that we have here in the US, that you could still develop that kind of expertise. But let's turn toward body language now. Now, you said you taught self-defense classes, you made body language a part of that. Where did you get your expertise? I mean, how did you learn about that part of it?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky and cursed. I grew up with a violent father. So my interest in human behavior and body language which started at a very early age his violent outbursts weren't related to alcohol or drugs or anything else they could happen at the drop of a hat so i grew up in an environment where it was critically important to pay attention to the nonverbal signals that might warn something bad was about to happen because otherwise it was then not only the physical elements, but then the emotional impact of being caught by surprise. And then during my time in the military, actually towards the latter part of my service, I was lucky enough to attend a human behavior and body language training class that for some reason, very few other people wanted to go. So I went and it was interesting to attend that first sort of formal structured class and be watching some of this stuff going on, thinking, oh yeah, there it is. And other people in the class going, where's what? Because different experiences garnered, you know, different cognitive, conscious uh, awareness. And so it was interesting to go through that class and and maybe have a moment of, okay, this goes beyond just having good instincts with people. Because of my upbringing, I had an awareness that maybe many or, or, or others don't have. And then I made it just out of curiosity. I started attending other classes, statement analysis, facial profiling, but purely for personal reasons, I was curious. I liked it. Like most things, I think start, you know, for us, we 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 enjoy them. We sort of maybe have a little bit of a, a natural penchant for it. And then I I started going to classes and and it, from there grew a curriculum that would allow me to sort of teach. But I I didn't go into learning any of this so I could teach other people, maybe maybe beyond just my kids. I learned it because I was curious myself. And then as I was teaching self-defense, I realized most of the people that I was training would not put in the type of training, conditioning necessary to be really proficient. Like, listen, dude, try to avoid it. You know, use your brain. And here's some of the things you could be looking for. And it grew from there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've uh, taken a a pretty significant amount of training in firearms and self-defense, but I've never had any training in body language. I don't remember a single class that I've ever taken where they've taught anything like this. It's all about what do you do after the fight starts? You know, that there's a little yep. bit about, you know, mindfulness and, you know, different levels of awareness mm-hmm. and so on. But other than just, you know, scanning around to, to see what's going on, there's no training whatsoever. So I'm kind of curious, can you give us an example of how reading body language Gives you an advantage in a real, real life situation.
1: Well, let's start with the devils in the details. I, I had a, you, you ever play baseball? I don't know if you've ever played baseball. Oh, I didn't play baseball. I, you know, I played a wiffle
0: ball when I was a kid or, you know, just, just, <laughs> stuff, just stuff in the backyard right. with the neighbors, you know.
1: It still counts. So, uh, you know, soccer, rugby, cricket, right? Those are the three main sort of team sports in high school. And one of my coaches in in cricket back in the day would say, you know, when you're trying to hit the ball, you don't want to just look at the ball. You want to try to look at the ball so you can see the writing, the the strings or the stuff that ties the ball together. Look for the details. And the same thing is true for body language. Because nonverbal communication or nonverbal signals is an outward manifestation of internal thoughts, emotions, attitude, personality, or intent, if somebody is planning something bad, nefarious, maybe something they find makes them nervous or excited, depending on their individual mindset, it's very likely that that body language will leak. I mean, I got targeted for a a crime in New York City. I was up there with my wife. She was doing a work thing. I got to tag along, and I was being very touristy, so I already knew I had an X on my back. But there was an individual that looked at me just a little funny. Now, what do I mean by that? His face and ventral orientation, midline of the trunk, was one way, but his eyes kept shifting to me, and he only did it twice. But it was enough for it to register that that is one of those signals. When somebody is uh, not moving their head too much, not moving the upper body very much, but tracking something within the environment that they find of interest, but they're trying to do it in a way that doesn't attract Any undue attention until the moment they're ready to either approach or attack, you get what most people would now refer to as shifty eyes. And it was shifty eyes twice, just enough. It wasn't necessarily overt beyond that. But because he caught my attention as I went to take pictures of architecture in Central Park from the grass, there was lots of room around me. I wasn't, you know, near enough somewhere someone could ambush me in the park. I realize that that individual was now still behind me having at one point us cross paths him going in the opposite direction me heading this other way so this that then to me that's three things we got eye contact twice with an a reduction in in head movement often indicative of predatory behavior followed then by seeing him twice. Now, I don't believe in coincidences. So immediately I knew, okay, there's something about me and probably my demeanor at this point being touristy that he finds interesting. Now, we're proximally drawn to things we are interested in. And from a criminal standpoint, resource predator, the stuff you own will draw them towards you. Or it could be if I happen to be a female, it was a male predator drawn towards a female that they're attracted to. So there are a number of things that go into making up what I consider to be a cluster of signals. And when we get a cluster of signals that are all related to one another, you can trust the cluster. And in this case, I did trust the cluster and turned to face him, oriented on him, made sure we had eye contact for a moment, gave him an index finger wiggle, along with a big smile that said, caught you, muppet. You know, this is not going any further, not without me knowing what's going on. And he smiled back at me, shrugged and walked away. So This was an instance where if I hadn't been paying attention, missed those two signals, plus the fact that he showed up a second time in the same environment could well have resulted in me being mugged. he just run up, smack me in the side of the head and grabbed the camera and off he went. But because those few, just those couple of little subtle signals followed by the coincidence of him being in the environment again a second time warned me, "Eh, this is probably going nowhere good. I was able to stop it. And this was back before citizenship and, you know, firearms although you can't think you can carry anything in New York City, but it it was enough. And so there are all these various little details of behavior that can warn you. It's just that most of the time we're waiting for something overt or egregious to give us a sign, oh, it's definitely on. And usually long before that, there'll be lots of other little signals that if you're in a position to identify, means that you already know. And you can deter, put that individual off way before it gets to a point where they're in your face and you're having to defend yourself.
0: So when it comes to uh, reading body language, basically you're saying uh, bad guys are reading your body language, right? They're, they're looking for stuff that you have. They're looking for what you're doing, who you're with, whether you're a man or woman, whatever. Uh, I, I, I do know that sometimes predators will look for things like the way you walk. So if you if you have a bit of Absolutely. a limp or you're, you're having trouble walking, they figure, well, that you're physically disabled in some way. Can, can you sort of paint a picture for what a predator is looking for overall if they're just wanting to mug you? What is it that they look for to make that decision, yes, I'm going to attack this guy and no, I'm not going to attack that guy?
1: Well, this is one of those situations where, well, where did the information come from? And I like to stress that the research that was done to to figure out what those nonverbal signals were was done by psychiatrists going into prisons, researching and asking criminals uh, flat out, what do you look for in the general public? And they were then shown video footage from the street and they... The criminals, everybody from muggers or rapists, were asked what they were looking for. So this, this list of various signals, and we'll cover all of them at the event, is is grounded in the predators themselves saying, these are some of the things I look for. And obviously, one of the very first things, as you already said, is a weakness. It's just it, it's predatory behavior. You know, a pack of wolves is looking for the weakest link in a herd because that's the easiest prey to take down in most cases. If you are displaying a sign of weakness a limp uh, you know you don't you're not walking with confidence and things like that then you've probably already landed on their radar the other surprising thing in terms of the behavior is the bad guys are choosing their victims in seven seconds or less so you don't have very long to make an impression so one of the things we we want to try to do in addition to of course being attentive is swing the arms and when we when it comes to swinging the arms there are different ways to achieve that but what we're trying to do is to move the humerus not just the lower portion of the arm. The reason for that is a strong upper body movement or upper body swing tends to increase the length of stride that we utilize when we're walking and gives us an air of confidence, even if we don't necessarily feel it. When we are nervous and apprehensive, and feeling out of sorts or we think we're being followed or in an, an area we're unfamiliar with, we actually tend to reduce upper arm movement and tighten it to the upper body because it protects the rib cage. If you've ever seen someone who's super nervous, they tend to give themselves some sort of a hug. Well, that's in part because those upper arms protect the chest. So if we are walking somewhere and we, and we say walk with purpose, what does that really mean? It means swing your arms and stretch your legs and make it look like you know where you're going, but that you're relaxed and confident. We're trying to make the most of the alpha signals or the confidence signals that are available to us rather than letting our emotions, nervousness and anxiety and being in an unfamiliar place or perhaps having to walk past a group of people that have already set our alarm bells ringing. You know, we want we want to walk past them looking like I'm not the victim today. I'm not the person you want to mess with. And so that upper body swing helps lengthen the stride, which makes you look a little bit more confident and purposeful in how you move. So you don't really
0: need to look like Rambo, right? I mean, you don't have to be the rock, uh, you know, striding down the street to to deter somebody. I mean, what you're basically saying is you can, we can all use body language in a way to deter threats from bad guys, just by knowing what signals we're sending off.
1: Yes. Yeah, a lot of it. And that's why I built the course the way I did, because it's mindset strategy and body language. The mindset portion is you understanding you first. And if you recognize, okay, I'm experiencing this emotion right now. Let's just say it's nervousness. I now know there's a very real chance that my nonverbals are going to match up and sync with nervousness, as you would expect. So, okay, how do I counter that? I don't want to look like a potential target here or I want to get myself as low down the menu as possible. Or change some of these behaviors, and it, it, during a pro, uh, through a process called embodied cognition, sometimes when we just fake our nonverbals, even if we're not necessarily feeling confident, but now we we open up the arms a little bit, we've got a good stride going, it results in us actually feeling more confident than we would have if we sort of just stayed in that in that lane of anxiety is driving my beta signals or the weaker looking signals attracting predators. So we can come at it one or two ways. You can actually be confident, or you can fake the confidence and use specific signals within that confidence realm to to give the impression to anyone that's looking that, no, I am not an easy target. I'm not going to go down quietly. And, and that is often enough. It, it's a, at least a deterrent if you also then have the skills, the equipment, and your head in the game ready to respond if it's if it still goes sideways after those signals are used. Well, that's that's perfect. That's a you know best case situation for a, a worst case scenario. So
0: Terry, I've seen videos and there's a thing that's been happening for a few years called the knockout game. And I see all of these videos where uh... somebody just walks up to another person, hits them in the head, knocks them out. And I and I have to wonder sometimes. How can people not see that happening? How can you be blind to somebody
1: walking up on you and hitting you in the head? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the norm for most environments with the general population is a complete oblivion to what's going on around them. And If you were to ask them, I'm sure most of them would say, oh, I'm very attentive. But the reality is they're not. There is... There are so many hurdles to our conscious ability to stay present in any given environment at any given moment and to truly scan and see what's going on around us that most people are under the, the uh, misguided notion that they are more tuned in than they are. And the reality is they're not. And most of those knockout games, and then, and now, of course, we have jugging, which is you know getting mugged. Coming home from the store, they're following people back from the mall, waiting till they get to their home, and then violence of action, speed, aggression. They're overwhelming them at the door and stealing all their stuff. Or the bank jugging, which is literally somebody sitting in a bank, observing people taking out cash, following that person into the parking lot, or even to the next store, and then mugging and stuff there. We have got to up our game. We've got to up how we scan. And if we do, if we know, okay, how our minds can be improved to be more attentive, regardless of your level of attentiveness already, if you're building even an incremental increase and improvement of 10% over what you've done previously in terms of your ability to scan and be aware, You've just put yourself in the lowest percentile possible for being targeted for a crime, including, of course, the knockout game. But you have to go into any given environment as alert and and aware as possible without tipping over the the line into paranoia. I, I like to think if you know what you're looking for, when you need to look for it, no need to be afraid right like you just you scan you look you recognize you move on and that to me is a best case situation in terms of i just i'm empowered i know what i'm doing and I, and i'm not afraid regardless of where you know life may take you
0: you know most of us and i think most of the people who are going to attend this class we're we're all good guys right i mean we don't want to unfairly judge other people we don't want to think that other people are bad, you know, we're good guys and we think like good guys. Does that kind of put us at a disadvantage? Or are we sometimes afraid mm-hmm. to think that somebody's going to attack and we're worried that that's going to make us look like we're prejudiced or or whatever? Does, does that work against us?
1: I think it can because we're dealing with human behavior, and everybody's different. And everybody comes at things with a different level of bias, a different perspective. But I actually think for the for the most part, the the good guys, the types of people that either come to these events or attend my corporate gigs, they're they're good. They're doing it for the right reasons. And if you let the non-verbals guide you in in your judgment or assessment of an individual, if you are guided by something. Tangible, rather than just thinking, oh, that person fits some sort of preconceived idea. Perhaps you're much less likely to tarnish the wrong person with that, you know, the proverbial brush. We, we want to look at our environment with a blank slate and the people in it with a blank slate. Let their their nonverbals, their their body language guide how you respond. And the more information you have in that realm, then the greater the likelihood you're more likely to be accurate. But it can go. Either way, you, you, it is difficult to start learning body language and not start looking at the people around you and go, okay, so far today, I've passed 10 serial killers and a potential bomber. I mean, <laughs> it just is because it takes a little bit of getting used to, but as you kind of, as with new, any new skill, but as you ease into it and kind of find your feet, you'll find yourself going, no, probably not. And here's why that person is likely not a threat. Now, this dude, absolutely. Man three mates. So you sort of, you, you get to, to distinguish based on something tangible rather than just relying on instincts. I love instincts, but they are fallible. So the more information you can provide your subconscious mind, the greater the likelihood that your deduction and assessment is accurate.
0: Right. Because, I mean, our instincts, and, and I'm a bit of a nerd, you know, I've, I've read some stuff in uh, evol- evolutionary biology. So a lot of our instincts are from a time when, you know, we were living in a cave or on the savannah. And the threats were, you know, some guy from another tribe or a tiger, right? And so, but we're not living mm-hmm. in that environment anymore. We're living in cities, we're living in neighborhoods, and we're really just not programmed properly for those environments,
1: right? I, yes. And the, the funny thing is, yes, we we live in civilized society, but do we? I think the veneer of civility is paper thin, and we know, we know that the wheels come off civilized behavior three days where there's no water. You know, grocery stores have a run on toilet paper and everybody panics. We're very close at any given moment to things just unraveling. So we, although we live in a society where there are rules and laws and theoretically people that we can call and they will come to our aid. The reality is we're the first responders and that predators, whether on the savannah as hunter gatherers, or today, in any big city or small town in America, there are still predators in every environment. It's just that we've lost a little bit of our, our skills in terms of decoding, reading, interpreting what we're seeing, because we feel safe in these familiar environments. And unfortunately, there is the, every area that we are in is safe until it's not. And the bad things happen to good people all the time. Bad things happen to good people in in nice areas all the time. So the predators are still there. It's just that we sort of conned ourselves into thinking, well, if something bad happens, I'll just call and then fill in the blank. But the reality is, you know, first of all, most of the cities and towns are now horribly understaffed with the good guys showing up. So you more than ever need to be the one that is able to provide your own protection and protection for your family and friends at the exact instant that you need it. And so regardless of where you live, having these skills will never be a waste and beneficial in a number of different areas, not just personal safety, but it also helps remove some of the stigma and fear that goes along with planning for it because we tend to fear what we don't know. And the more you know, the less there is to fear. These things don't happen in a vacuum. So if you can identify and be your own first responder, maximize your awareness i mean you're setting yourself up for success and unfortunately the criminals are gonna have to wait for somebody else because as they see you coming they're gonna go it's not worth it i'll just wait for the next next person who's not paying attention
0: so we're just touching on a few of the things that you're going to go over there's going to be a lot more in this seminar uh can you give us kind of a bullet list of some of the things that you're going to go over
1: yes obviously we're going to be looking at a lot at about how we scan and improving visual acuity we see less than we think we do let's put some some uh, skills in the in the mix that help us see more we're going to look at cognitive bias how to improve it role of schemata and how we overlay kind of a an approximation of what we think should happen in a given environment. We'll look at predator pre-attack sequence behavior. Principles of decoding nonverbal communication. We've got to have some guidelines to help us uh, decode what we're seeing contextual to whatever is happening in whatever given environment. Three questions that help You decode individuals in any given environment. We'll look at body language signals, facial lateralization of emotions, which is something I find truly fascinating. Chin signals, inward lip rolls, feet position, hand signals. We have it's going to be it'll be fun. But it's going to be a lot of information, even over six hours. And it's always interesting when I do these events, I often come in for an hour or two the first time. And then the next time that those folks bring me back, it's let's do seven hours. It's going to be great. And they want it all. So the fact that you've jumped in there both feet for six is wonderful. There's going to be a lot of information. But they, I, I would like to stress that this is all about empowerment, not fear. So they will leave having had a good time learning this stuff.
0: One of the things on the list, uh, on the event page that we have, is why levity is important for personal safety. Now, I, I I kept wondering, what is that? What is levity? I mean, you're not talking about telling jokes to the bad guys, right? I mean, what, what does levity have to do with self-defense?
1: <laughs> Actually, you know what? I don't think a joke to a bad guy is a bad idea. The same part of the brain is engaged when we are fearful of when we're laughing and finding something funny. So it's the reason why those individuals that have had jobs in sort of a high stress environment tend to have a dark sense of humor. The same thing applies here. The more we're laughing, the the less likely we are to be so stressed out that we can't think straight. So the minute something, it's like my guy in Central Park, right? Instead of getting my knickers in a twist, that this dude had pinged me, probably wanted my camera. I turned around, gave him a, you know, a big toothy ass smile, laughed at him, shook my middle finger, not my middle finger, my my index finger, and it was no, it was over immediately. There is something about approaching personal safety lightheartedly, as positively as it can be approached to learn the things you need to learn that helps reduce some of the stress and fear. And anyone who's ever shot in in a competition or done anything that has resulted in nerves and apprehension will know your performance is going to decrease exponentially, 10%, 20%, 50%, 80%, depending on the level of stress. Well, if we can ratchet down the pressure on ourselves and up the, I got this mindset, and levity helps do that, then the greater chance you can perform well under pressure when needed. It's also one of those things that for, for us and for others in our community like us, we are leaders. You may not think it, you may not want to be, but in a crisis, when you're the only cool cool head in town, people are going to gravitate straight to it. That person over there seems to have their shit together, and they, are, they seem to be making great decisions right now in the crisis. Whatever they say, I'm in. Because most people don't know what to do. So your ability to crack a little funny in the middle of something stressful will not only help you think clearly, but it will also draw people to you that might need the guidance and the help.
0: So I'm glad I grew up watching Monty Python now because I feel like maybe I have a tool in the toolbox that I can actually use, right? <laughs> you do. So, uh, yeah, so absolutely. Ter- so Terry, what we're talking about here is your DIRT training seminar, Dangerous Individual Recognition Training. This is coming up on February 11th. That's a Saturday. Six hours. So we're going to get pretty much all of your training all in one day. This is how to, how to read people, how to spot criminals before they attack, and, uh, you know, how to take decisive action. So you can actually avoid that attack. So for our listeners, go to BuckeyeFirearms.org, click on the events link to get all the details, and please sign up. Look, we, we rented a pretty big event space, but if we fill it up, we're going to have to close the registration. So you really don't want to wait. Register now. Our early bird registration is only $75. That's a bargain. We're recording this before Christmas. This is a great gift. This is the perfect gift for your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, anybody. $75 to learn how to avoid being attacked. BuckeyeFirearms.org. Click on the event link and sign up. Terry, do you have anything else that you'd like to tell us, you know, why people might want to attend this, something
1: that you're going to cover that they they may not expect? There'll be a lot of information that they don't expect. But One of the things I think that the reason they should attend this is because most of the time, with the exception of a few rare occasions throughout a year, it's not available to the public. It's large corporate groups that book this and have it hosted. They would not be able to attend. So there there's this is a rare opportunity that most of the time this is stuff and i'm traveling all over the place to deliver it this, this is just something that they wouldn't be able to go to so take advantage of the fact that this is in your area regardless of your skill set this will add to it this will put you in a position to see more respond quicker and hopefully uh, avoid all you got the skills than the mindset well, yeah, you can go in there and nip it in the bud and stop it. Maybe protect someone who didn't even see it coming. But this this is a, definitely an event that I think they will enjoy and get a lot of valuable information from.
0: Well, I'll admit I know virtually nothing about this. Usually, when we have a trainer in, I'll know at least something. I am I am completely ignorant about this. I've made a living with words, with writing and communication and so on. Body language, though, that's a complete blank slate for me. And I'll bet that's true for most of our listeners as well. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. Terry, thanks for being on the podcast. This was great. We'll see you on Saturday, February 11th. Absolutely. Thanks
1: for having me on, mate. It's been great chatting with you.
0: That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.